0: Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Rachel Lippman. Joining me today is Washington University professor, critic, and essayist, Gerald Early. Professor Early, thank you for being here today. Good to be here. It's great to have you, and it's no secret that you are a baseball fan. Anyone who has watched Ken Burns' documentary on the sport will know your name and, and probably your voice as well. What is it that appeals to you about the game?
1: I think one of the things I like about the game is that uh, it has a certain kind of uh simplicity that's almost poetic Uh, and it's a game that can be easily played by children even if you don't have the proper equipment or proper number of people it's a very adaptable kind of game and because of its simplicity and because it's very adaptable and because it's something you can play when you're very young um, I think all those elements wind up um, having a great deal to, uh, to do with my um, attraction to it.
0: And was this something that you as a child, a game that as a child you played and just continued to enjoy as an adult? Or?
1: Oh, yeah. I played it as a, I wanted to be a baseball player. My, my, my ambition in life was not to be a college professor. When I was a kid, I wanted to be Willie Mays. Um, and uh, uh, by the time I got to high school, I realized, well, I'm not going to be Willie Mays. Um, and uh but yes, the uh the love of the game, uh, uh from playing and also from going to see games, my friends uh, stayed on with me to adulthood.
0: And I know you that you grew up a Phillies fan. Is that still the, the passion that you hold if you transitioned at all being in St. Louis for as long as you have? Or?
1: Uh, I didn't go to high school in St. Louis. I think that's supposed to make a difference. But in any case, no, I, I still root for Philadelphia, But uh, except when they play the Cardinals.
0: That is, that is fair. That is completely <laughs> fair. I hear that a lot. One of the critiques that you hear about baseball sometimes these days is that while well, it can be a simple game, it is also starting to drag. You're getting a lot of statistics involved in there. As a baseball fan, do you share that critique?
1: I have some concerns about it. I mean, in some degree, uh, cyber metrics and the whole movement that was started by Bill James some years ago um, opened up dimensions of the game that um, uh, people hadn't thought about before. And it really gave a whole new sense of understanding of a players' performance. Uh, on the other hand, of course, at this point, for many people, it might feel as though people are overthinking the game and um, and... That, along with the whole rise of fantasy baseball, um, might, uh, I think, lead people into um, feeling that the game is um, being overanalyzed uh, in some respects. And I think there's a certain amount of truth to that. And I think there's also a certain amount of danger in in over overanalyzing the game.
0: And so for you, how do you kind of uh, keep the attention on the simplicity and the beauty of the game as you're watching it?
1: Well, I just watch guys as they're out there performing in this game at this time and what they're doing. And I look at the game as sort of a story and it's a narrative that's sort of unfolding and you kind of go along with the narrative. I pay attention to the old-fashioned statistics too that I grew up with. So batting average and home runs and RBIs and innings pitch and in games one still means something to me, even though to the the newer crowd, all that stuff is, oh my God. <laughs> it's very passe. Right, that's point. very passe stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it's uh,
0: going to the the ones that anyone can understand, right. that you don't need a statistics <laughs> yeah. degree. And yeah. so back in 2007, which was 60 years after Jackie Robinson broke that color barrier, you wrote in Time that you believe the percentage of black players in the league had dropped because young black men were not playing the sport. Is that still fundamentally in your mind true?
1: Yeah, I think that's fundamentally true. I do think that Major League Baseball has, in in recent years, tried to make some efforts to uh, reach out to uh, the black community and to getting more black kids, youngsters interested in playing the game. But I think that's fundamentally true. Um, And I think it's because, by and large, African Americans are not fans of the game. They certainly are not fans of the game in the way they are fans of professional and college basketball or professional college football. And um, so I think that's one issue. I think the other issue is the whole Little League structure and um, the expense of playing organized uh, baseball on the level of Little Leaguers. I think that can be off-putting. But I I think on the whole that the uh, black community is not generally as engaged in baseball as it is with other sports. And so I still think that statement is true.
0: And so how much of it does then that become a self-fulfilling prophecy in the sense that because they aren't seeing themselves represented on the diamond, uh, young black men decide to play basketball or football or sports where they're more represented?
1: Well, I think part of it is a representation story. Um, of course, there are black men on the diamond. They just it'll happen to be black American men. They, they are mostly uh, men from uh, the Caribbean and Latin America. Uh, where the game is still very popular in those in those in that part of the world, I do think that part of it is a representation thing. I think part of it is also that for many African Americans, um, the pace of the game and the nature of the game is not as appealing. I think there's certain there's just certain level about the aesthetics of the game which are less appealing than football or than particularly basketball. I think of all major sports for African Americans basketball is the most appealing aesthetically.
0: And is that just that as we talked about a little bit, the speed of the game, the understanding of the game, or is it just that they're more used to a basketball, for example?
1: I think it has to do a lot with the speed of the game. I think it has to do a lot with what you're doing in the game, the kind of the vertical leaps. The kind, just physically what you're doing with your body in the game, I think has the stylistic kind of things that you can do. And I think it's more appealing to many African-Americans' imagination about what you can do with your body in sports than something like baseball. Baseball can be beautiful when you see people performing it, but it doesn't have the kind of ballet-like grace and structure and speed to it that something like basketball has.
0: You mentioned a little bit that there is a representational issue for Mm. black Americans Mm. in baseball. And I'm wondering, for baseball or for any sport or for anything really, how much representation can matter?
1: I think it matters to some degree. And I think it matters to some degree, uh, particularly if you're a minority person and uh, a minority person, (laughs) minority person from a persecuted background, I guess. Most minority people of whatever sort are for persecuted have histories of persecution. So I think that the idea of seeing people from your group participating in something is is meaningful for minority people. And I do think representation it isn't totally um explains why people might be attracted to something, but I think it has I think it has some real bearing.
0: And was there something that Major League Baseball began to do in recent years, that you think is is sort of a way to to improve that representation, to get African American youth more interested in the game. You mentioned I know that they had done that they had put some things into place. Anything you think is working particularly well?
1: Well, I think they've started this. Um, um, I think it's called the RBI League, and it's uh, trying to bring baseball back to the inner city. Is I think what 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 that's uh, um, supposed to stand for, and. I think that's that's a good idea. It's a good effort. Um, I think it has yielded some fruit in, in doing that and uh, trying to bring baseball back. I think the, the thing that people need to understand is that baseball is unique among sports for black Americans in that black Americans at one time had their own leagues back during the days of segregation. And they had their own leagues, and they had their own teams, and so it was—it was not only a sport, but a business within that community. And so, black people had a particular kind of relationship to it. And when that kind of, when all that kind of fell apart with the Negro Leagues and so forth, I think it had a certain kind of an effect on um, distancing black people to some extent from the game. Uh, but I do think trying to return, trying to re. Uh, um, reignite interest in the game among African Americans uh, has been an effort um, that I think baseball, Major League Baseball, sincerely tried to 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 do. I do think that, that there are a lot of things that kind of work against it, and um, and among other things, I think it's just generally that um, part of it, as I think is uh, as I said before about the aesthetic aspect of the game. The game for I think for a lot of young people, period, the game is too slow and it's too many too long stretches that it, it doesn't seem interesting.
0: Your interest in sports also extends to boxing. It's the topic of your new book, which is the Cambridge Companion to Boxing. Is this something that you have to be a boxing fan to enjoy? Tell us a little bit about this book.
1: Gee, I hope not. <laughs> 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 There's not, not an overwhelming number of boxing fans in America <laughs> as there used to be. Uh, it's the, the Cambridge Companion to Boxing is a c- collection of uh, original essays and uh uh, that also includes a chronology of the history of the sport from the time of ancient Greece and Rome up until yesterday. And the essays cover various aspects of the sport, including boxing in literature, boxing in movies, women in boxing, um, Latinos in boxing, or Latinx in boxing, um, uh, uh Africans in boxing. Um, boxing in the 19th century in the United States. So it covers a whole gamut of things. So the hope is, is that people would find that these sorts of subjects would be interesting and they would find that boxing permeates our cult culture and has influenced our society much more than people might think.
0: And what led you to turn your critic's eye to write about boxing? What was the appeal of it?
1: Well, I grew up in Philadelphia, and I grew up in a working-class neighborhood that uh, there were kids who boxed a lot. In fact, there were a couple of kids in my neighborhood who wound up becoming professional boxers, kids I went to school with. So I was kind of around it. I kind of was in the milieu of boxing. And so that led me to wanting to um, write about it because I saw a lot of boxing, and I thought it was interesting. I thought it was an interesting thing for a young working-class person to do for a living. And um I also thought that because of the milieu I came from, I could write about it well.
0: What did you make of President Trump's decision in 2018 to posthumously pardon heavyweight champion Jack Johnson? For those who may not be familiar, he was convicted in 1913 for transporting a white woman across state lines, which was a crime at that time.
1: Uh, yeah, that was an interesting decision. I, I certainly um, would say I, I agree with uh, President Trump's decision to do that um, because the conviction, the pers- the prosecution and the conviction w- were racially motivated. So I, I would certainly uh, would agree with um, President uh, Trump doing that. I think people had thought that it might happen under President Obama and there had been talk that it would. Um, I don't know why it didn't happen, but I'm glad that it did.
0: Did you worry – maybe worry isn't the right word, but um, were optics a concern with that, that this is something he is doing to enhance a record on civil rights that may in other ways be problematic for the president?
1: You're talking about Trump. Yes, correct, President Trump. Um, Yeah, it could have been some kind of overture of that sort. Um, uh, He has uh, problems that way in um, reaching the African-American community. Um, and certainly, in some quarters, he would be considered almost kind of radioactive um, in, in that regard, because of uh, many people feeling that he's very, um, you know, he's he's sympathetic to alt-right type um, 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 political concerns. So it may have been something like that. I don't think it would, uh, insofar as his standing goes with African Americans, it would make much difference uh, about doing that. But, you know, I'm just glad that he did whatever the motives are uh, for why he did it. But if he did it for that reason, I don't think it would make much difference.
0: We have to take a break. We're speaking right now with Gerald Early of Washington University. We'll be back in a moment. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Welcome back to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Rachel Lippman. Now back to Gerald Early of Washington University. And as I was preparing for this interview, I was struck, as were many of my coworkers, just by the breadth of your interests and expertise. And we were wondering what fuels that curiosity about the world.
1: Well, I think I've always been kind of curious about things. And I think um, I've always kind of wanted to understand how the world works. And I've always wanted to try to understand uh, I think to some degree the African Americans place in the world, which is one reason that's one dimension of, of my writing. But I I've always wanted to understand um the United States and I think I tried to take different kind of avenues or different ways of looking at um my native land and to try to understand what it is. It's it's um it's it's a big complicated animal.
0: And is there a topic that you you know you started researching and then would find another topic and another spin off I mean what are some of the, some of the rabbit holes that you end up kind of finding your way down? What were some of those favorite connections uh,
1: well yeah I mean I, I there was a lot of rabbit holes believe me um and uh actually, when I started out in graduate school, I started out um with my dissertation writing about slavery in American literature, which Well, actually, that was that rabbit hole. That was that led me down the rabbit hole of boxing, actually, believe it or not. Um,
0: What's the connection there?
1: Well, I found out that there were um, sometimes uh, um, slave masters would have um, boxing matches with uh, some of their. enslaved people on plantations, and this kind of interests me a little bit, and I had always been interested in boxing, but I didn't know that, and I said, hmm, that's very interesting. I wonder what that led to, and there were some slave people and slave people people who wound up becoming noted, went to England and became noted boxers, and that kind of led me into boxing history in a way that I had never thought I would go into boxing history, Um, and uh, there were some rabbit holes were, were invented when I did work with Ken Burns. And um, when he asked me about being part of baseball, that kind of led me down a, um, going into baseball, which led me into wanting, in, into interest in sports and movies. This led into um, an interest in film noir. This, this, this led into a whole bunch of other things because of this, going down this rabbit hole with Ken Burns. So a lot of things... Um, uh, happen as a result of researching one topic and winding up being interested in, and it leads you into doing something else.
0: And with all those rabbit holes that there are to follow, how is it that you choose what you want to critique and reflect on at any given point in time?
1: Well, uh, I think that I decide to do a particular thing because um, I really feel I have something to say about it. There have been many subjects that have interest me and I've read a great deal about And I'm not written about them because I really don't feel I have anything to say that would be, that would add anything. I wouldn't say anything that would be different from what the people have already heard. I've chosen subjects that I felt like, oh, this is really something that I can say something about that I feel would be a kind of contribution to the conversation.
0: Can you give an example of a topic where you interested in it and you researched it? And in that research process, you thought, I'm not sure where I can add to this conversation.
1: Well, I think that um well one topic I know that comes to mind right away is film noir. And that's a subject that I, I I have an intense interest in. I've watched tons of Film Noir and I've read tons of scholarship about Film Noir, which is which nowadays is almost never ending. Uh and um uh and then after that I just felt that I didn't have anything to say that would really be different. Um, that led me, interestingly enough, to to but that led me to something I did write about, which was James Bond films. Um, and I did write an essay a few years a few years ago about James Bond movies. Uh, and I got into James Bond movies as I was doing this film noir stuff, and I just got into those movies. And then I felt that I could write something about the Bond movies that I felt were different than what other people had been writing.
0: Who's your favorite Bond? <laughs>
1: Uh, I still would say that uh, Sean Connery was probably um, physically and um, insofar as his acting goes, probably was the best of the Bonds.
0: So among your many roles at Washington University, you are the editor of the Common Reader, which is an essay collection that's been going on for for five years now. What was the genesis of starting a new collection of essays?
1: Well, starting that journal... Uh, was uh, basically something that the chancellor, Mark Wrighton, approached me about. And there was a an anonymous donor who was willing to give some money to start this journal, which would be dedicated to the essay. And I thought that was interesting. I was flattered to be asked to be the editor of it. And I had always wanted um, to be an editor of a journal. I think it was, oh, as, as I told my wife, oh, I'd like to be an editor before I die. And... Um, And uh, so this was a good opportunity for me. Washington University's chancellor thought, oh, this would be um, good for our uh, university to have this journal that's being edited by one of our professors, and that would kind of be one of those things that would help make Washington University a thought leader, as the term goes. And so I thought it would be a lot of fun. Plus, it gave me an opportunity not only to cultivate relationships with writers already new, but to meet new writers, and it would give me a chance to read a lot of new stuff and that's, that's fun. I mean, as long as the new stuff is good, it's not so much fun when it isn't good, but when it's good, it's fun.
0: And and how is that experiment, I guess, that's now five years old going? Are you sensing that more people are getting tuned into essays, reading the essays, talking about them?
1: Yeah, you know, our audience is going up, it's creeping up little by little. And, um, you know, first of all I had to kind of learn how to do a journal, which <laughs> you'd think because you read them you would know how to do one, but <laughs> reading one and doing one is two different things. But um it was uh it's it's developing very well and we're building our audience and um we are uh and we've done and we've done some pieces, we we've 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 published some pieces that I thought were really outstanding. I mean some pieces by people like Sarah Kinsey or Cliff Thompson. I mean, these were really outstanding pieces. And so I'm really proud of the content. Uh, I feel that like content has been very high. We have also, in in conjunction with the journal, we started a literary tour of St. Louis. And um, uh, we've done the literary tour, I don't know, maybe about three or four times. no. About maybe four or five times, and it's been pretty successful.
0: So this is a tour of the literature that came out of St. Louis. Some of the yeah. writers that we know. Yeah, or?
1: it's a tour of. We go around St. Louis. We go around St. Louis, and we see different different locations that were significant to famous writers here. You know, there's a there, there there's a spot uh, we stopped at that for Mark Twain. There's a there's a plaque here for T. S. Eliot. There is a. a, a uh, of course, there's stuff here for Tennessee Williams. Mm-hmm. So we go to all these different places. The tour takes about two hours. We go to all these different places, and we, um, and we do that. And uh, so, you know, I, I feel as though this is something that, well, when I retire, at least I know I can have a job being a tour guide doing this tour.
0: There you go. If people are interested <laughs> in taking this literature tour with you, Professor Early, is there information available for it? Is it sort of a one-off thing that you do when you have the time?
1: Well, it's the sort of thing I do now when I have the time. But if people are interested in it, they should um, send a uh, note to uh, the Common Reader. You can reach us at commonreader.wustl.edu, which is where the Common Reader site is. And, and there is also a place where you can respond and send in um responses to what's there and you can send in a response saying you would like to go on the tour and if we get enough people to say they want to go on the tour you can go on the tour.
0: And we'll make sure to put that on that link on our website Mm -hmm. later on. There are so many platforms out there these days to publish essays. You have medium, Mm -hmm. you have blogs. Mm -hmm. What is it that you think makes a, a a really good essay that is different than just a think piece that somebody has written and posted in the digital space?
1: I think what makes a really good essay is um, the uh, honest and authentic engagement of the writer with the material, um, the honesty of the writer, the commitment of the writer to the material, and to expressing what's in the material as well as that writer can express it, and um, to and the, and the writer also having respect for his for his or her audience and wanting to. Um, really uh, try to engage his or her audience, and I think that it's honesty, ability to to use the language well, and a real sense that you have some type of um, view of your subject that is truly engaging and important to your readership.
0: We have just a few minutes here left, Professor Lee. You are obviously a professor of liberal arts and humanities. You've made your life in this, and I'm wondering, with all of the emphasis these days on STEM and this and STEM on that, are we losing anything important in in a college education, in education or just in you know how we engage in the world in general?
1: Well, I mean, uh there there are there, there are two things in the world. I mean, so far as education goes, there's there are numbers and their words, and they're both equally important. And um uh, uh and so uh I hope that people don't lose a sight of how important words are, and how much words are, how much our reality, our sense of ourselves, are constructed out of words. And I'm hoping that people don't lose that. the The, the numbers don't, the numbers, the statistics, all those sorts of things don't explain all of what human experience is. Human experience still comes down to words.
0: And is there a way that they balance each other out or help kind of bring one into focus for, not, for each other in about 30 uh, seconds?
1: Yeah. I, I, well, I would suggest that people read a children's book called The Phantom Tollbooth, which is about words and numbers. And uh, I think that's, that book is excellent in so far as showing the balance between the two.
0: Gerald Early is an essayist, an author, and a critic, as well as a professor at Washington University. Professor Early, thank you very much for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.